Our sermon text this morning is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, so feel free to go ahead and turn there. My wife and I had the privilege of spending some time in Chicago this past weekend. My wife's brother and sister-in-law live down there, and I spent a little bit of time in Chicago, not a ton, and so it was nice to be able to see different parts of the city, different neighborhoods I'd never been to before. But I realized very quickly as we were going neighborhood to neighborhood, walking through alleyways and back roads and nooks and crannies all over the city, that I had no idea where I was. Uh, I could have told you I'm in Chicago, but where on the map, uh, I had no idea. And there were a couple of times I thought, if I let too much distance get between me and my brother-in-law, I could be, you know, calling a cab to take me back to Lansing. But uh, thankfully that didn't come to that. Uh, My brother-in-law is a gracious guy, and he led us through the city. But it dawned on me I really had no choice but to take him at his word. Uh, I couldn't uh, couldn't just assume I knew where I was going. I couldn't just assume that I would get back to their apartment safely every evening. I had to take him at his word that he would lead us in the right path. And as we're going to see in Hebrews 11 this morning, that's essentially what the life of faith is all about. Faith is fundamentally taking God at his word. It's trusting him enough to follow him where he's leading. So I'm going to read just verses 8 through 10, and then we're going to talk about those this morning. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now the story of Abraham, as you know, is a a large story. It takes up almost a, a quarter of the book of Genesis. And in Hebrews 11 alone, The story of Abraham is recounted from verses 8 to 19. We're not going to cover that whole section. We're just going to focus on these three, as I think there's some important points in this story that correspond to a specific story from Abraham's life that we'll look at in just a few minutes. But we learn here that faith is fundamentally taking God at his word. Well, what does it mean to take God at his word? The first thing we learn is that people of faith obey the word of God. And if you have The insert in your worship folder, there's an outline in there. You can follow along and take notes if you'd like. But people of faith obey the word of God. In other words, faith and obedience are inseparable. You know this from James chapter 2, if you've ever read the book of James, that you can't say you have faith in God without works that reveal that faith. Faith and obedience are inseparable. But the problem that we've created for ourselves is we've come up with this understanding of faith where it's a subset of knowledge. In other words, if I know certain things about God, and if I trust the source that gives me that knowledge about God, then I am a person of faith. I actually believe in God. But that's not the whole picture. That's certainly an important aspect of faith, is to know God, to know Jesus, to know who he is and what he's done. But if we substitute knowledge for faith, we're seriously mistaken. The professor, Howard Hendricks, he was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, once said, the opposite of ignorance in the spiritual realm is not knowledge, 
it's obedience. And I think that holds true, that faith and obedience are inseparable, and knowledge is like a prerequisite for faith. So it does assume that we know what the Bible says, no more and no less. So if we're going to live by faith, we need to obey what we know that God has said. Now, sometimes we can read things into the Bible. We can read things into what God has said. And so what we're following or what we're living by faith according to is actually not exactly what the Bible has said, but it's something we've imported into the Bible. I'll give you an example. I used to attend a Christian camp, and this camp was a great camp, very great Bible teaching, well-meaning, all of those things. But they had this challenge that they wanted all the junior, senior high students to do. What they did was they took a 24-foot ladder and they propped it straight up and down. And you had your, your teammates for the week and your teammates were to hold on to the bottom of the ladder that was straight up and down. And at 25 feet, they had strung a bell between two trees. And so your job, your exercise of faith, was to climb this ladder held only by other 12, 13, 14-year-olds to climb the ladder and ring the bell. Well, the problem is, as I studied the scriptures, I didn't find that command anywhere in the Bible. It didn't seem to me that I was exercising faith in God by doing that, so much as I was exercising faith in my friends and hopefully their steady arms. But we can do that, can't we? We can import things into the Bible. We can maybe read between the lines things that aren't actually there. And then when we live according to those things, we claim to be living according to faith when we're not actually doing that at all. That's exactly what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees said they were living by faith. They were children of Abraham. But really what they were doing was living by all of their man-made laws that they had imported into Scripture. Likewise, we don't want to know less than what Scripture says. If we're going to live by faith, we need to know all of what God has said so that we can obey all of what God has said. And so again, we, we spend a lifetime of learning obedience. And that's what it means to take God at his word. It's not a one-time thing. It's a lifelong process. So we'll use Abraham as an illustration. Put a finger in Hebrews chapter 11 and turn back to Genesis chapter 12 with me. We'll be coming back to Hebrews in a minute. But as we look at the life of Abraham, we see this, this union of faith and obedience. They're not separated. And so I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, and we're going to talk about those just briefly. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh as Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. 
Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. So what does faith look like in the story of Abraham? What what was his faith and how did it uh, unite itself to obedience? Well, we see in verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, leave. He tells them we're all to leave. And then verse 4, so Abram left just as the Lord had told him. Exactly what God said to do, that is what Abraham did. There's no separation there. And in fact, when the writer of Hebrews writes, he gives the impression that it's simultaneous. The Lord called him and Abram started packing his gear. He was going to get ready to go. Now again, from our, our typical way we view faith, for, him, for Abram to be called by God, Abram might have responded by saying, I believe that God called me and this is what he called me to do. That's what I believe. And he could have stayed right there in Haran. And a lot of us today, we would call that faith. We would say he believed in God. He believed that God spoke to him and told him to do all of these things. But we know from Scripture that faith isn't complete just by believing that God said something. You have to know what God said, and you have to do it. So the Lord said to Abram, leave, and Abraham left. That was the calling. So Abram not only had to to leave his, his family and his hometown, but as we know from Joshua chapter 24, he left his idolatrous way of life. And this gives a little more insight. The Lord didn't just command Abram to leave because it was good to move on or because there was something bad about to happen in Haran. He commanded him to leave because there was an idol present. There were idols in their family history, in their culture, their surrounding area. And the Lord knew, if I'm going to get to Abram, if he's going to live by faith and obedience to me, we need to get him out of his situation. We need to move him and he needs to follow me. So that's what the life of faith looks like for Abraham. What about for us? Well, Jesus tells us we need to learn to obey all that Jesus commanded. So for those of you familiar with Matthew 28 and the Great Commission, in that passage, when we typically hear it preached or when we typically read it for ourselves, we put ourselves in the place of the disciple. And we say, I'm the one who is called to go and called to preach the gospel, to teach them to obey all that Jesus commanded. But I think it's important for us before we get to that point, before we're the ones going and telling and teaching, we need to be on the other side of that. We need to be the ones who have learned to obey all that Jesus commanded. Now, it doesn't mean perfectly. That doesn't mean exhaustively. But it means we haven't just learned what Jesus said. We can't just say, I know Jesus said this, so now I'm going to teach it to other people. We learn what Jesus says in order to obey it. And as we learn to obey ourselves over a lifetime, then we're able to teach others and bring others alongside. And as you know, we teach not only with our words, but with our example as well. So for us, it's important that we not only recognize that Jesus told us about his death and resurrection and the importance of that for restoring a relationship to God, we need to understand that faith in Jesus means faithfulness to all that he calls us to do. So other things he's told us to do, confess our sins, repent of those things, learn to live a new life. He said, if you love me, you'll keep all of my commandments, which is echoed in the Old Testament as well. That's what God said. So for us, especially those of us who have been in church for a long time, we can't rest on the knowledge of what we know about the Bible, what we know about God. We need to live it out in obedience. 
faith and obedience are inseparable. But again, obedience is not a one-time thing. It takes a lifetime of learning what God says in the Bible and learning to live it out. So it takes perseverance. Thankfully, Abraham gives us an example of that as well. So turn back to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 9. It says, By faith Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. So who was this guy Abraham? What did his lifestyle of faith look like? Well, it was likely unpleasant. Okay? Most, of, uh, most of living in the ancient world was unpleasant in a variety of ways. But now he's out there. He's just wandering from place to place. We saw that briefly in Genesis chapter 12 where he started from Haran, he came into the land of Canaan. But even once he got into the land, he moved one place to the next to the next. And if you follow the rest of the story all the way to Genesis 25, that marks Abram's life. Day by day, step by step, he's just moving from one place to the next. So in Middle Eastern terms, he'd be called a Bedouin or a nomad. So you can still see these today if you go to Israel or somewhere in the Middle East. A Bedouin is a nomad, usually a shepherd, and they've got their herd of sheep. And there's all these rolling hills, especially in Israel. And the Bedouin just kind of wander hill to hill, new grazing fields. They pitch their tent and they stay there for a little while. And then when the grazing's done, they pick up their tent and they move on somewhere else. There's no fixed place that they call home. In our terms, we might call this person a drifter or a squatter. A squatter is somebody who lives on a piece of land that they don't own. You know, we're celebrating Independence Day and one of the founding principles of America is to have private property, right? property ownership. Well, in this time, especially for Abraham, that wasn't a reality. There was no property ownership. We know that the only property he ever really owned was a cemetery where he could bury his wife. So Abraham was a wanderer, a drifter. Or as I like to think, because he lived in tents, he was a perpetual camper, someone who's just always on a camping trip. Uh, And for me, uh, that's especially unpleasant because nature and I don't really get along too well. I think I'm allergic to just about everything except the air and the sun. So for me, three days on a camping trip is enough. I've had enough of the outdoors. That's plenty for me. But for Abraham, this was a 100-year camping trip. Can you imagine? I mean, they didn't have running water to begin with, but a hundred years as a camper. It says in Genesis 12, he left Haran at age 75. And if you skip ahead to Genesis 25, Abraham died when he was 175. So a hundred years he was camping with the Lord. That's unpleasant (laughs) in some ways. So we know that obedience involves unpleasantness, but it also involves persevering in the midst of fear and anxiety. Back then, cities were not just helpful for the amenities. It's nice to visit Chicago and ride the train and see the cool sights and enjoy the different amenities that Chicago has to offer. But back then, cities were a means of security. Cities had fortified walls and they had sentries posted who would watch all through the night. It was a place where you'd be protected from thieves and pillagers and foreign armies and outsiders. Cities were necessary for safety and security back then. But it's interesting that the life of faith that God called Abraham to, God didn't permit Abraham to enjoy that kind of temporal, man-made security. Not only did he not enjoy the security of the cities that they would have offered, but he actually camped 
in between very wicked cities. Many of you know the story. He lived near Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, several of the kings in Genesis 14, we read, surrounding cities, they all gathered to do battle against each other, to go to war against each other. And likely, uh, back then, you've got cities here and there, and the place where you make war is right in the middle, which is somewhere near where Abraham would have been camping. So he, he dwelled in the midst of wicked cities and what he himself describes as godless cities. In Genesis 20, we read that he went to the city of Gerar and he said, there is no fear of God in this place. I was afraid you were going to kill me. That's the kind of fear and anxiety that the life of faith brought to Abraham. So it's not just dealing with bugs and humidity and a lack of running water. This is real serious stuff. But Abraham persevered in obedience to the word of God despite an unpleasant lifestyle and in the face of great fear and anxiety. What about you? Is there any unpleasantness in your life? Are there any fears, any anxieties? The circumstances may be different from what Abraham experienced, but the core realities are the same. For us, obedience is still unpleasant. Even if we don't experience unpleasant physical circumstances, uh, Hebrews 11, which we love, it's a, a chapter that tells of the great stories of faith from the Old Testament, heroes of the faith. It's set up in the context of the book of Hebrews to give people motivation for what he's going to command in chapters 12 and 13, which is to resist temptation, which is to kill sin, to persevere under the discipline of the Lord. All of those things are still unpleasant for us. All of those things still bring fear, and anxiety. And our sinful tendency is to think that in the life of faith that we have arrived, that we no longer need to learn obedience. And honestly, a lot of that is because for most of us, faith has become synonymous with knowledge. A lot of, a lot of us, myself included, I went to seminary for four years, a lot of us come to church and we don't necessarily learn anything new. We don't necessarily think, boy, I never thought of that before. A lot of it is by way of reminder but also, learning the life of faith is not just about learning the content. We can't just claim to be Christians if we know what the Bible says. We have to learn to live it out. And that is what will require a lifetime of obedience and a lifetime of perseverance. Not only do we wage war against ourselves, but we're surrounded by godless people as well. There are people in Abraham's day who didn't believe in the Lord, who didn't want to walk in his ways or fear him or obey him. There are people like that in our lives too. We don't need to go into detail about who they are. You know who they are. There are people that are constantly trying to influence us, putting pressure on us to abandon the ways of God, to abandon the life of faith and obedience. We need to learn to persevere because that's what faith does. Faith perseveres in the midst of unpleasantness. And what's more is sometimes when we live the life of faith and we persevere, there are difficult things that happen to us. So sometimes when we obey, we still suffer financial hardship. Sometimes when we obey, we suffer the loss of loved ones, or we get an unexpected diagnosis, or we have broken relationships with people we love. Those things happen to people who live by faith. What makes it even harder is sometimes it's our faith that causes those things, those relationships to break. Sometimes living by faith is the catalyst for the suffering that we endure. And so when the reward is not immediate, that can make it that much more difficult to persevere in obedience. 
But I'm here to encourage you, persevere. Because the Bible tells us that it's not the immediate reward that we're seeking. We persevere in obedience despite the suffering we experience because people of faith trust the promises of the word of God. Look back with me at verses 8 and 9 once more. Look at the language of inheritance and promise. It says Abram was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance. He made his home in the promised land. Isaac and Jacob were heirs with him of the same promise. So in other words, the promises of God, the promises in the Bible, are enough for the people of faith to persevere in obedience to God. John Owen was an English pastor in the 17th century. He provides a great example of this. John Owen rose to power in his own day, and he became a close counselor of the most powerful man in England, Oliver Cromwell. And he would give sermons to Parliament, and he wrote these great books that were disseminated between or throughout the whole country. He was a very influential man. And then one day, Oliver Cromwell died, and the political tide shifted, and all of a sudden, he found himself as an outsider. Because of his faith, his commitment to the Scriptures, his commitment to obeying the Word of God, he found himself basically in exile in his own country. And even more than that, John Owen and his wife had 11 children in their lifetime, and they buried all of them. Only one lived to adulthood. So it carries even more weight when he comments on these verses, and he says, the assurance given us by the divine promises is sufficient to encourage us unto the most difficult course of obedience. And some of you are here today, and life is difficult The life of persevering obedience is difficult, but the promises of God are sufficient to live the life of faith. So when we're tempted to want God to show us something else or to give us more proof or to give us some temporary relief from the pain and the anxiety and the suffering that we face, we need to remember his great promises about eternity, about the future. When we want those things, the hymn writer says, as we just sang a minute ago, what more can he say than to you he has already said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. We go to Jesus for refuge because life is hard. The life of persevering obedience in faith is hard. But the Bible gives us all the promises we need to persevere in faith. So what was the promise given to Abraham? Well, he was given the promise of the city that has foundations. Now imagine a guy who's lived his whole life picking up his tent stakes and moving on to the next place. Imagine the promise of a city with foundations to finally enjoy the security that's not brought about by fellow human beings or by fortified walls, but brought about by God who created everything, visible and invisible, as we read a minute ago. The fact of the matter is, all the cities that Abraham knew, all the cities that he wandered here and there, and lived in between, none of them exist to this day. Even the foundations that they built for themselves, none of them exist to this day in the same capacity that Abraham knew them. They've all been destroyed or built over or totally forgotten. But Abraham has the promise of a city with foundations, a city that will never decay or be destroyed. And so we learn from this passage in Hebrews 11 that Abraham's promised land was not Canaan. It wasn't this land between Dan and Beersheba from the Negev to Mount Hebron 
and from the river to the great sea. It wasn't about that land. It was about the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. And that's the same promise given to us. Turn over a page or two to chapter 13 in Hebrews. We're told that Abraham didn't have a city to call his own. He lived in tents his whole life. But we learn in chapter 13 that the same is true for us. Chapter 13, verse 14 says, For here we do not have an enduring city. It's not just Abraham, it's us too. If we're living by faith, by persevering obedience, we do not have an enduring city. But we are looking for the city that is to come. And Jesus himself said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, you have faith in God, you take him at his word, you obey his commands, do that also for me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that where I'm going, or that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. The place that Jesus has gone to prepare for us is the same place that he's gone to prepare for Abraham. It's the holy city, the new Jerusalem that comes down from God. The city that is filled with righteousness and peace and justice. Things that this world doesn't know. And what's more, we read in Revelation 21 that the walls of this city have 12 foundations. This is a city built to last. It was built by God. So think this morning of the worst things that have happened to you in the the course of living the life of faith. Maybe it's temptation. Maybe there's a besetting sin that you just can't get rid of. Or maybe it's some other form of suffering that's happened to you from the outside. It's not something that has come from your own heart. It's something that's happened to you. All of these things will not happen in the city that we've been promised. The promise to us is that God will dwell with us in this city and we'll rejoice with him forevermore. The Bible says here we have no lasting city, but neither does anyone else. All the cities that anyone in this world has ever known will be done away with. So the question is, are we storing up for ourselves treasures in a place where there is a lasting city? Are we going to persevere in faith knowing that there is a city that is to come? And in the meantime, we yearn and we long for the day when that city is realized. I want to close with a poem by Peter Abelard called, Oh, What Their Joy. This is what Peter Abelard says. Oh, what their joy and their glory must be, those endless Sabbaths the blessed ones see. Crown for the valiant to the weary ones rest. God shall be all and in all ever blessed. What are the monarch, his court, and his throne? What are the peace and the joy that they own? Oh, that the blessed ones who in it have share, all that they feel could as fully declare. Truly Jerusalem, name that we shore, city of peace that brings joy evermore. Wish and fulfillment are not severed there, nor do things prayed for come short of the prayer. There where no troubles distraction can bring, we the sweet anthems of Zion shall sing. While for thy grace, Lord, their voices of praise, thy blessed people eternally raise. Now in the meantime, with hearts raised on high, We for that country must yearn and must sigh. Seeking Jerusalem, dear native land, 
through our long exile on Babylon's strand. Low before him with our praises we fall, of whom and in whom and through whom are all. Let's pray. Our Father, may we be people who live with a faith that not only knows you, not only knows the Bible, but that lives that faith out in obedience to every aspect that we know. Our Father, we know that this life presents so many difficulties, so many challenges, both within and without. But we know that you are a God who has promised to be with us every step of the way. And you are a God who has promised us that there is an eternity waiting where we will suffer no more. God, give us peace this morning. Help us to yearn for that city, but to know that in the meantime, you will be with us. God, we thank you for this word that encourages our hearts. We thank you for the example of Abraham who lived this life of faith to the end. May we be found faithful in the same way. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed.